0: His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even from among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And the last one. Then Job replied, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavor in the sap of the melon? I refuse to touch it, such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant that I what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me. To let loose his hand and cut off my life, then I would still have this consolation. My joy in unrelenting in un- unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. In Macbeth Lane. There's a there's a line that goes like this um, Each new morning, new widow new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Which means, no matter who you are. You cannot escape suffering. You cannot. No matter what your status is, no matter what your bank account says, no matter where you are from, you will suffer. That's that. Talk about happy Shakespeare. And as you probably know, no book in uh, literature and no book in the Bible talks more about what suffering is, then the book of Job. I almost said job. Jobs. Then the book of Job, right? There's two questions that every suffering person has why and how. Why is this happening to me? How can I deal with it? Or how can I overcome it and still be seen at the end of it? Now, in the the book of Job, it's a long book, and we're, what, chapter 4 to 5 or 6? We'll keep on going back and forth to those two questions. Up until this moment, we talked about the why question, right? You get to know who, who, um, uh, who Job is. You get to know what happened to him, why it happened. Tonight, we're going to talk about how. Namely, again, how do you bear the suffering that will come to you in life? And the question I'm going to give to that... the um, The answer that I'm going to provide is comfort. Now, some of you have cars and have driven cars or know what I'm going to talk about. There's a system in a car which they call a shock absorber system, right? There's bumps in the road and then you have that system which will help diminish the impact of that bump right but it will not take the feeling of it away it will just dampen it right that's how comfort works right you're you're going to fall into the hole but it's not going to feel that bad And it's not just in suffering that we look for comfort, it's in general, in life. You need to have sources of comfort in your life. Um, where do people go for sources of, uh, sources of comfort? Well, some people go to friends, some people go to family. Right? Now, in the case of Job, we were talking at the men's breakfast. Family is not an option, right? as we know. Children have died, and his wife says, "Go curse your God, and then die, right? Because look what happened to you." How about friends? Well, Job has three friends. Tonight we're going to hear one of him, one of them. Um, and basically, what the Book of Job is, and you all know that probably. Uh, It's a continuous dialogue from chapter 4 today until more or less chapter 40, not necessarily up until the end, but somewhere there, 37, 38. It's a continuous dialogue between Job and his friends on the matter of his own suffering. And they do a horrible job You even get to a point where you have to wonder, are they his friends? Because it doesn't feel like they are. They're not sources of comfort. Job even says in chapter 16, um, he says, Miserable comforters are you all. Right? That's why the title. So, tonight we're going to look at how one of the friends is doing a horrible job at what he's doing and through what he's saying, and hopefully we're going to learn not to be like him. Now, all this was introduction. Um, I had three points to the sermon. Number one is bad comfort. Number two is better comfort. And number three is the best comfort. So, let's, let's go into it. Bad comfort. So, at the beginning, I read to you three short passages from chapter 4, 5, and 6. Uh, in chapter 4 and 5, Eliphaz, the first of the friends, talks to Job. And then in 6, you get to hear Job responding. And in the sermon, that's why I designed it like that, so you can hear both and get the taste of what does it mean to comfort or not comfort somebody in suffering. So he says, Eliphaz, call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? First of all, does he sound like a good friend? Stop praying, man. What are you doing? What he's saying to Job is, stop whining, stop calling out to God. He's not going to hear. He's not listening. Why is that? He tells him. Let me read it one more time. Faster this time. Resentment kills a fool, and every slay and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consumed his harvest, taking it even from among thorns, and the thirsty pender he uh, pent after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Job, you're a fool. Right, that's what he's saying. Now, in the Bible, a fool, um, a fool is a disobedient person, right? Proverbs one seven says, "Fools despise wisdom and instruction." Titus three three says, "For we ourselves were found, sorry, we, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient." led astray, so on and so forth. So yes, Eliphaz says, a fool can have his way for a while, can have some wealth, can have some health, but in the end, he's going to be a fool, and he's going to die. Now, whatever he says, um, He's not a very loving friend. He's extremely cold and harsh. First, why would you tell him not to pray? Second, why would you tell him he's a fool? Well, it gets worse. Forgot to put up a slide. I'll read it again. You heard it at the beginning. He says in chapter four, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it, right? So, Job, stop crying out to God. You're a fool and he's not listening to you because you've done it to yourself. You brought it to yourself, on yourself, right? He says, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. What he's saying is, innocent people don't just perish. You don't just become like you are, Job, overnight. You must have done something. If there's trouble in your life, you saw the seed. You've planted the seed. In chapter 5, he says again, hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. If you go to a field, if you go outside Alborg. And you go to a field and you see green stuff coming out from the ground, right? Corn or wheat or whatever. You're not going to think, well, yeah, it just came out of, a, of the soil, right? Somebody planted it, right? It's not just popping up. That's what he's saying. If you have trouble in your life, you have planted it, you have caused it, right? If you find suffering in this life, just stop praying to God. He's not listening to you You're a fool. You brought it on yourself. Have you ever had a friend like that? I will take the risk of sounding horrible and say, avoid them. Somebody who teaches you to stop praying because in your praying you prove that you're a fool while you're, you're suffering for something that just happened to happen in your life. Right? Think twice. Don't avoid them. Think twice. So these kind of people will always have a list, right? Examine yourself. See what you're doing wrong. You're surely not having the right trust. Uh, You surely must be sinning. You're not praying enough. You're not praying right. And then comes the advice, right? Start praying more. Start praying right. Trust God more. And everything will be right. Everything will be better. Well, it won't. In the case of many, actually. So what Eliphaz is, or proves to be, in the end, he is truly a miserable comforter. He's trying to do it. It just doesn't work. Let me ask you this. I said that everything he says is wrong. Why is it wrong? Why is everything that Eliphaz says to Job wrong? I mean, it might be something that people will tell you on the street at times. If you just have a conversation, you know, yeah, well, you're a fool. (laughs) No, but seriously, why is it wrong what he's saying? Well, it's wrong because it doesn't grasp the complexity of human life. Let me explain what I mean. In um, I think it was last year we had a, or two years ago, we had a series on Kings, First Kings, Second Kings. In First uh, Kings nineteen, you have an episode with Elijah. He falls into a deep depression and he runs into the uh, wasteland, into the desert. And during this depression, God sends his angel. And what does the angel say to Elijah? First, he doesn't say anything. He just cooks a meal. He makes bread for him. Elijah is so tired and exhausted, spiritually and physically, he falls asleep. When he wakes up, he finds the bread. The angel says, you need to eat. He eats, he's not strong enough, he says, you need to sleep. He falls asleep. He wakes up again, he says, you're still not strong enough, you need to eat more. Now, hopefully all of us here know, Elijah did not sin. Right. And Elijah did not need a list. Right? Are you praying enough? Are you praying right? You know, all those things. He, he definitely didn't need a sermon. And just as certain is the fact that he didn't need a manly reminder. Come on, man. Just... You know, I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Now, if we humans were only spiritual and moral beings, a list and a sermon would make sense, right? Have you confessed your sins? Have you prayed enough? Have you pleaded with God? Have you thanked Him for everything? Have you trusted His promises? That would be enough. But we're not just moral and spiritual people. Or beings. Or also physical beings. And at times, we need a good nap. A good meal. And maybe a walk on the beach, in the sun. And more than that, we're not just spiritual beings and physical beings, we're also relational beings. We need somebody right here to tell us, I love you, I am here for you. Now, parenthesis, we have to be very careful with our words, the ones we say and also the ones we do not say. Many people will suffer in this life because of the words we say. The Bible talks about this extensively. Also, people will suffer in this life because of the words we do not say. I'm not going to get into, you know, women listen, women need to hear things, men need different things, you know. Most of us know, right? But we need to be careful with the words we do not say and the words we do say to people. And we have to pay attention to who around us needs a hug and a good word. Especially when we call ourselves a family, us as a church. In a family, you don't talk down to people, right? You either talk like this or you talk like this, right? Right? There's a big lesson for all of us in that. Parenthesis closed. Religious people will always reduce things to spirituality and morality. Not to not to beat on the spiritual people, scientists, and I mean you can call them whatever you want, modern people, postmodern people, secular people. Um, We'll see depression and suffering as a biochemical thing, right? You need a pill. Always a pill. Spiritual people, always a sermon you need. A sermon, you need a lesson. You need a lecture. But if you look at Jesus, he's done neither. Didn't give a sermon to somebody who is in pain and didn't give a pill to Somebody else wants. Think of the woman at the well, right? You see he lecturing her? You see he giving her pills? spiritual pills? No. there's relation there, there's love there, there's emotion there. There's a lesson, but that's, that's not the purpose, right? So As human beings, we're extremely complex. All that to say, we're extremely complex. We don't just need a lecture. We don't just need a pill. We don't just need a word. Maybe we need all three. But you cannot tell somebody who's lost their family. You've done it, man. You're the problem. Right? You just don't do that. So, Eliphaz doesn't just miss the complexity of... What a human is. He simply does not understand suffering. In the, in the New Testament. There's an episode. Where Jesus is going along with the apostles. And they meet. Um, a blind man. And somebody asks a very Job's friends like kind of question. Right? The question is, who sinned, him or somebody in his family, right? And Jesus says what? Neither this man nor his parents sin." Jesus says. But, his, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in this blind man. And that's exactly what happens to Job, right? Satan wants to bring suffering into Job's life to prove or show that Job is a fake. Everybody in this world is out to find fake Christians. I'm not sure. Well, I know why, but there's so many fake people in this world. Probably fake Christians might be worse, but let me read something to you. Somebody said in a sermon. God lets Satan bring suffering into Job's life, but only gives Satan enough rope to hang to hang himself with his own plan. God permits Satan to bring enough suffering into Job's life to accomplish the exact opposite of what Satan wanted. Because of his suffering, Job's name will live on forever. Which is the exact opposite of what Satan wanted, right? He wanted to discredit him to show and prove he's a fraud. That he would not trust God if suffering would engulf him. But he failed in showing that. Just ask yourself, how many people through history were encouraged, encouraged by Job? Okay, all that said, one more thing, and I'm done with point number one. The others are not as long, I promise. Unfortunately, what Eliphaz says sounds, I have to be careful, sounds similar to what some churches and some people tell you today. If you're sick, it's because you have no faith. If you're not prospering financially, it's because you're not trusting God properly, or you have sin in your life, or whatever. Saying and believing such things is like saying, I know exactly what God wants to do with this suffering in your life right now. Nobody knows what. God wants to do with the suffering in my life I mean the entire Bible is a record of people in suffering yes some of them is for their own foolishness but there are some in whose case it's not So that was point number one, the bad kind of comfort. Point number two, better comfort. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Who is he talking to? This is Psalms, of course, but Who's he talking to? I'm actually asking. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. And he's he's comforting himself. And Job is in a context or in a situation where he could do with some self-comforting with such friends, right? I mean, who needs enemies when you have Eliphaz, right? So Job does... Job does four things to comfort himself. It's a better comfort. It's not the best kind of comfort, but it's a better comfort than what he gets from Eliphaz. He does four things. Number one, he is emotionally realistic with everything that is happening to him. Right? He's not hiding at all. There's no mask. There's no using beautiful words. Right? Let me read it. Chapter six. If only... If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. There's nothing hidden. It's all out there. And not just that, but he's doing the exact opposite of what Eliphaz tells him right Eliphaz tells him stop whining stop crying out no he's just not going to stop why would you stop or your children are dead your wife is who she is you lost everything you have stuff on your skin that hurts and bleeds and smells you have nothing why would you shut up who is to say you need to just stop talking And what is he talking about? His own suffering. Why? Why would you stop? He does another thing. He prays no matter what. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for. Nothing stops him from praying. Not even a friend like Eliphaz. He never stops praying. He continuously talks to God, to His God. I mean, what better to do than pray wherein, when you're in His situation? Or, what better to do when, you're, when you don't feel like praying? You're su- there's so much suffering in your heart and life, you simply cannot pray. What else to do? Pray. Lord, I cannot talk to you right now. What are you doing when you say that? You're praying. Number three. He rejects suicide as a form of comfort. That God would be willing to crush me, to let loose His hand and cut off my life. Why is he saying this? He's asking God to kill him, right? That's what he's doing. Why is he not doing it himself? Nothing else to lose? Maybe. Think of it, think of it like this. You have a, you're extremely hungry... Now I'm going to do a stupid comparison, but it's fine. You're very hungry. In front of you on the table, there's a huge, beautiful, delicious burger. You're not going to eat it. You're just going to pray. God, give me some food, Lord. It's right there. You're not eating it, but you're praying. You're dying of hunger. That's this. Why would you ask God to kill you when you can do it yourself? Most probably, he doesn't believe that he has the right to do it. He's not his own. He has a Lord, not a God, a Lord. As he will say later in the book. Which means, he owns me. Everything. And number four, he doesn't let go of, parenthesis, D1, God. (coughs) You'll see what I mean by D1 in a second. Now, the only comfort in Job's life is the following that I would still have this consolation. What a beautiful word to use when you're... uh, If you remember Vlad's drawing at the beginning of the series, right? If you're that guy... By the way, paying attention to words, right? What I just said. Anyway. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. He would rather die, his own words, he would rather die than give up the joy that is to follow his God's word. He knows that God loves him and that he's not against him. His own, somebody was talking about, the. uh, I think it was you, Abel about conscience yesterday at the men's breakfast his own conscious conscience is clear right joe he knows who he is in front of his own god right? he knows he didn't sin right? now Why the one God? Eliphaz says in chapter 5 at the beginning, Call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? What Job is saying is, Eliphaz, you're an idolater. I know who my God is. And it's His Word that is my joy. One God. Not holy ones, holy ones, but the one God. One God. And point number three, this is short. Best comfort. Again, Eliphaz says at the beginning... Who, being innocent, has ever perished? Paul has the answer. God made him who had no sin to be sin. Why? For us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus proved Eliphaz A hundred percent wrong. In history, there was one single one, not holy ones, one single one who was holy and innocent. And he was the one who died. And why? So that to prove that there's just one true Job who suffers because he's innocent, namely Jesus. And why again? So that us, in suffering, we would get or have access to the best kind of comfort. Jesus is not a sermon. Jesus is not an advice. And Jesus is not a pill. And we today have something better than Job had back then. And that is, in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, goes like this. What is your only comfort in life and death? Question number one. Answer. That I am not my own, but belong, to, belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, By His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That's the difference between us in suffering and Job in suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that many times, if not all the time, we are bad comforters for those around us and maybe even for ourselves at times. But Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would challenge us tonight and give us a heart that truly knows how to comfort people in suffering. And I pray again through that Holy Spirit that you would help us look towards you as the ultimate comfort that is given with grace, love, and freely to everybody. I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.